uh, I realize this is like the third or fourth time I've been up here in front. And I thought, as I was preparing for this, I thought, what am I going to say? Uh, I'm going to kind of let you know a little bit about me. I've been kind of an enigma to a lot of people here because I'm not from here, so nobody knew me when I was young. Uh, I married a Marian girl and promised her when she consented to be my wife that when I retired, I'd bring her back home. And by golly, she held me to it. <laughs> yeah. And bless you for doing that, because uh, I basically grew up in West Virginia with a short stint in Cincinnati, which is kind of different. I remember when I moved to Cincinnati, some of the kids that I hung around with back then, I was, I don't know, I was like 12, I think, 13, when I moved down there. And some of the kids said, oh, you're from down south? I said, guys, I hate to tell you, but this is farther south than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> and if you look at the map, you'll see that where I grew up was north of Cincinnati. In fact, it was about the same level as Marion. So even though I was farther east, I grew up over in West Virginia, uh, moved around a lot uh, when I was a kid. When I joined the Navy, I had to fill out a personal history, giving all the addresses that I've lived at since 1935. Of course, I wasn't born in 1935, so it was a little easier. I was only 17, so 17 years shouldn't be that tough. When I sat down with my relatives trying to figure out all the addresses, we came up with 37 addresses in 17 years. I went to 13 schools in 12 years. So by the time I graduated from high school, I'd been to 13 different schools. So I moved around a lot. I kid around nowadays, I said, we used to move when the rent came due. <laughs> and unfortunately, that was almost true. Uh, my father was uh, a college graduate, but he was blind. And a lot of people in those days really thought a blind man can't do anything. Well, my dad graduated from college with straight A's. They don't do A's, I don't think, in college, but he was top, within the top 5% of his class when he graduated. He hired my mother as a reader for him, and that's how she worked her way through a couple of years of college, was reading for dad, and they ended up getting married, and there I was <laughs> all of a sudden. So... In the time that I was growing up, Dad couldn't get a job because he's blind, he can't do anything. Never mind the fact that he graduated college with high marks and everything, had a degree. I found out later on, many, 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 many years later, he actually was an ordained Baptist minister, but I never knew it because he didn't preach. He, he, uh, so I didn't even know I knew he was a Christian, but I didn't know he was a preacher. I don't guess he was. He sang. He was a musician. There were times in my life when I was a kid that Dad earned a living standing on a street corner with an accordion and a tin cup, begging, basically, because he couldn't get a job. People didn't think a blind man could do anything. When we were in Cincinnati, Dad 
had a concession at the University of Cincinnati at the library there. He ran the snack bar with vending machines, and he used to repair the vending machines. So, yeah, he's a blind man. He can't do anything. He could repair a vending machine. I wouldn't know where to start. And I, I'm an electronics guy. I, you know, but he worked on them. He kept on running. So he could do things. Um, well, anyway, getting back to me rather than my dad. Uh, when I was 14, my parents divorced. And I moved back to West Virginia. I moved in with my grandparents and took my mom along. So we lived with my grandparents for a while. Lived out on a farm. And then later on in the wintertime, they moved into town, big town, big town. 238 people in that town, big town. I kid around nowadays, it's kind of funny because People joke about the back hills and about country people and so forth. I actually, in high school, lived in a two-room and path house with an aunt, uncle, and three cousins. They were the closest things I ever had to siblings. A girl and two twin girls. So I had the closest thing I ever had to sisters were three kids. A little bit younger than me, not much, but three to five years younger than me, so. They're like my sisters today. I really love them like sisters. They're real, I'm real close to them, emotionally anyway, because they're the closest thing I had to family growing up. My aunt, uncle, and the three girls. I don't, they don't watch this so I can talk about them. But really, it was kind of neat doing that. Now, when I was 12, I decided when I got out of high school, I was going to join the Navy, I was going to go learn electronics, and then I was going to get out and get a job. Well, I graduated from high school at 17. And I did, that's the first time I saw my dad from the time that they got divorced till I graduated high school. He came to my graduation. And I went back down to Cincinnati to visit with him for a little while. And I stayed down there for about a month. And then my girlfriend at the time, who was my high school sweetheart, if I can say that, uh, told me her dad was thinking I better start thinking seriously about what I was going to do with my life because he was getting kind of tired of his daughter having this boyfriend that wasn't going to amount to anything because he still got out of high school and just ran off. So I figured, well, I better go back and do what I planned on doing. So I moved back up, went down the recruiter and signed up. My mom had to sign papers for me because I was underage. I was 17 years old. And I'm going out into the world, join the Navy, see the world. That's what they claim. And now the funny thing is I spent 20 years in the Navy. And the only time I ever set foot on a ship that wasn't tied up is when Cindy and I went on a cruise about five years ago. After we'd been married like 15 years, we went on a cruise. Maybe it's a little bit longer than that. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, so I spent 20 years in the Navy, and the only time I set foot on a ship 
was when it was tied up or anchored. And even then, the only one that wasn't out of commission was one that I went down to take a tour of when I was in Turkey. Um, and I went out and tried to get on the USS America aircraft carrier. I thought, man, that'd be neat. Got down there and found out they weren't letting Americans come on the tours of the America, only allowing Turks. So here's me and like four or five other guys that came down from our base to take a tour of a Navy ship because we wanted to see what it looked like. <laughs> and instead, we ended up on a destroyer, a little bit of what they call a tin can in the Navy. So I did get to walk around a tin can. It was anchored in Istanbul Harbor. And I got shown around the ship, and I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm glad I don't live here. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's about my Navy career. Now, how I got started in standing in front of people is another story. While I was in Scotland, I had been asking God. Now, I jumped over when I got saved, by the way, because I wasn't saved when I joined the Navy. I'm going to back up to that. I was stationed in Pensacola, Florida, running a maintenance shop. I had 28 people working for me. Most I've ever had work for me was in that shop. And I was, uh, well, I've been married five years, and I was a typical sailor. I was a heathen. And whatever you think of sailors uh, and how nasty and filthy mouth they are and how what rotten people they are. Well, that was me <laughs> you're talking about. In fact, after I did come to the Lord, I had one of the guys that worked for me come up to me. Now, he was basically the same rank as me, so I could get away with it. He says, you know something, Baumgartner? If there's anybody I know that needed to get religion, it was you. <laughs> so, I guess I was kind of an impressive heathen, even among the heathens. Now, after I came to the Lord, I got this thought in my head, well, i got to get out of the Navy now. I can't re-enlist uh, because you can't be a Christian and be in the Navy. It just didn't stick in my head that you could even do that. Well, I heard God talking to me. No, I didn't hear a voice in my ear or anything. I heard a voice in my heart that said, I need Christians in the Navy. Huh? That was a shock to me because I, I knew what sailors were like. I'd been one for eight years. Even though I hadn't been to sea, I did everything but. Uh, so I said, okay, if that's what you say, then I'll, I'll consider it. And so I had one other Christian in my shop that I knew of, and he was witnessing to a guy. And I was kind of hanging around with him. And we started witness to this one guy. Picked out one guy out of my 28. That uh, I think five of them were civilians, so it was kind of awkward there. But this guy was another military, another Navy guy. And one day he said, how come you guys keep telling me about this Jesus? And I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. The guy that I was talking about, this buddy of mine, said, well, Paul, because we love you. And he thought, 
Huh? You know, that's really it, though. We witness to people, we share Christ, we share Jesus, because we love them. We don't want to see them run their lives like I had ruined mine. I didn't really have anybody witnessing to me, per se. My wife was a Christian, but I had kind of drug her down. I was a, I was a jerk. I wasn't a very good uh, guy. I was every, every inch a sailor. <laughs> uh, I laugh at it now because I realize just what a lousy uh, husband I'd been, what a rotten father to my kids, how miserable I'd, how take, I'd taken my life and just ruined it, trying to live, do my own thing. Because I thought, hey, I got the world by a that's tail. I know what's going on. I'm a senior guy in the Navy now and enlisted anyway. I'm running a big shop. Now, I've been promoted two or three times since then, but I have never had that many people work for me before or since. 28 guys. That's when I was in Scotland, my entire division, which was run by a lieutenant commander, which was, you know, if I was here, he was here, higher. He didn't have that many people working for him. So, I, you know, I figured, hey, I'm doing pretty good. And yet I had really ruined my life, even though I was doing a pretty good job running the shop. But uh, anyway, so I gave my heart to the Lord and at 80 miles an hour on an interstate, <laughs> going back to put my family back together because God had spoken to my wife and to me and said, you need to get back together. And we did. It wasn't an easy time. It wasn't for her. And she had no reason to trust me, no reason to believe that I was really a Christian, even though I knew I was. And so we were going, we started going to a church together. And before long, she, I guess she figured out that, well, maybe it is real. And I knew it was real because I knew the difference in me. Maybe it didn't show real good at the beginning, but I began to change. And during that change, I heard a term that I'm going to talk about today. Now, I'm going to, before I get to that term, I'm going to say, this is the first time I've ever got up here where I did something that I was taught in the Navy never to do. I actually volunteered to do this. And it's standard policy in the military. Never volunteer for anything. I'm seeing heads shaking. Uh, so, yeah, first time I ever volunteered to get up like this. And uh, I'm more nervous now than I ever was when I was told to do it. <laughs> because this time I put myself on the line and said, Lord, I've got to depend on you for this. But when I volunteered... God spoke to me about the Romans Road. Now, I'd heard about that. I've got the notes and stuff in the Bible that I got when I first came to the Lord because it's something that I got taught early in my Christian walk. But I wanted to look a little bit deeper about Romans Road. What's that all about? Why do they call it the Romans Road? Well, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about a road 
and specifically about the roads that Rome built. Because, first of all, Rome did not build the first roads. There were roads that were built before Rome ever happened. But as early as 312 BC, Rome started building a road. The oldest Roman road was now called, is, was called then and is now still called the Appian Way. Maybe you've heard that term. The Appian Way still exists, and people can still travel on the Appian Way in, out of Rome. And something I found out why Rome built these roads, they built a road to get somewhere. They didn't just say, eh, I think I'll build a road out there. Says, we need to be able to get from here to there. And we need to be able to do it quickly, efficiently. And in those days, the most efficient way of getting from point A to point B was a horse and maybe a cart or a wagon or a chariot, whatever. So they began to build roads. Now, the way they built roads, we still today do something very similar. First, they started out by, may sound silly if you're going to build a road, they start out by digging a hole, actually a trough, a trench. And some of those trenches were as much as nine feet deep. And they started then by compacting the ground, getting it good and solid. And then they put down a, a base of crushed rock, which we still do today. Crushed rock, they put sand mixed with it. They put a cement mixture with more stone in it. They put gravel. They put in the main roads, the, what they called the public roads, they put a topping of stone, either cobblestone or maybe chipped flat stones, and they built a surface like that. Now, it's funny. When I was in Scotland and I drove down to London, I actually drove along some of the same path where Rome had built roads clear up through Europe, through England, clear up into the southern part of Scotland. And some of those roads are still there even today. The Appian Way, you can still travel on it today. It's over 2,000 years old. In fact, it's almost 2,500 years old. And it's still usable in places, not all of it, obviously. Rome built roads. They built them on a foundation. And they built them to get somewhere. Now, and they're still here. One of the things that impressed me about that, about a road, and about this road, is that you've got to have a foundation. Now, Scripture says no other foundation can be laid than was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christian foundation. Our life has to be built on something that's solid, something that's firm, something that doesn't change. And that foundation is Christ. Okay, well, I'm digressing. We've studied here, Tom has preached on several things since back when I volunteered for this and God put in my heart to talk about the Roman road. He did a series on the four chairs. How many remember the stuff on the four chairs? 
You know, there's the four chairs. I'm going to run through them real quick. I'm not going to preach on them because I don't have time. But, but the four chairs, the first chair, anybody remember? Come and see. That's for someone that's out in the world and doesn't know Jesus. The four, first chair. I think we all started there. I don't know of any of us that were born first time being saved. But we all were in a place to come and see. Look, the next one was follow me. Right? So once we become Christians, once we come to the Lord, we really have a responsibility to our friends, our associates, any people we run in contact with to say, hey, you know, I know something I'd like you to know too. I'd like you to come and see this Jesus. Now we reach a point after a while that we become fishers of men. Now I never was really all that good at being a fisher of men even though I worked a couple of Billy Graham crusades as a counselor and I did some street witnessing and passing out tracts and all that kind of stuff because uh, that was the thing to do at the time that I got saved back in the early 70s. That was the thing for young people. I was 25 when I came to the Lord. So I messed up my life for 25 years and then God said, okay, time to start over. So I did some of the things that our church was doing. and One of the things we did was use the Romans Road. But uh, we tried to win souls. Our youth group at that time, young marrieds, that's what I was a part of because I was young and I was married. So we had a college and career group too, which was college-age kids that weren't married. And we kind of hung out together sometimes. But they went out on the beach. Because I was in, in Florida, man. What else are you going to do? You go to the beach. And they'd go out and witness on the beach. Um, and they'd bring kids into the, to the group. And we'd have coffee house ministry. That was big back then, too. And they'd win kids to the Lord and bring them into the church. And, uh, it, was, it was a great time. It was just one of those things that you did back then. And we've kind of lost that, I think. I'd like to think that we still talk to people around us about the Lord and explain to them that something inside of us makes us different. You know, I was told one time that people can argue Scripture, they can argue doctrine, they can argue this, they can argue that when you say stuff. But when you tell them what Jesus did for you personally, they can't argue with that. You know, they can say, well, yeah, it's just the way you are. No, it's not the way I was. Jesus made a difference in my life. He changed me from the inside. Didn't, didn't change my outside. I still just as goofy looking as I was before. But something was different on the inside. My wife shaking her head like, I'm not sure whether to go this way or this way. <laughs> uh, she knows how goofy I really can be. Then there comes a time in the four chairs when we get to the fourth chair. And that's where we're trying to make disciples. We're trying to be disciples. We're learning more about Jesus, about the walk 
about the Lord. We're learning how to minister to those around us, to be friends, to be family. That's what I love about this church. We're family here. I told my wife, yeah, I'm nervous for the first time, really, in speaking in front of people. I'm kind of nervous. And I shouldn't be because I'm talking to family. I'm talking to brothers and sisters. I'm talking to people that I know, people that know me some, although I think maybe I've told you more about myself already up here than I probably have to very many of you, even all the time I've been here. But uh, it's something. Now, I told you that the Romans built roads, they built highways, they built thousands, thousands of miles of roads. The Roman road system worked all the way from Morocco over on the coast, the northwestern coast of Africa, all the way around the Mediterranean, over into what's now Syria, up into more of Europe, over through Italy, obviously, across through Spain and France, up across the English Channel. They didn't build a road across there, but they shipped over, and up through many, many roads in what's now England and Scotland, Wales. There were roads through there. You could travel on a good day's trip now. We think nothing about going 70, 80 miles an hour some parts of this country. It's even illegal to do. Uh, in Rome, even on their good highways, 10 miles a day was a pretty good day's trip. So you think about they they built some sources that I read said over 200,000 miles of roads. Some others said 75,000 miles of roads. The thing is, Rome built four different kinds of roads. They built little country roads which weren't nearly as long-lived. They built what they called public roads, which were almost the superhighways of the day. They were over 14 feet wide. You could pass two carts, so you could have two-way traffic on the same road without having to pull over. Now, I drove through some parts of Scotland where there were miles and miles of one-lane road, and about every hundred yards or so, there'd be a wide spot where if you met another car, you could pull over and pass each other. Otherwise, one or the other of you had to back up to the nearest place that was wide enough to pass. So the main roads that Rome built were wide enough for two vehicles, two carts, two tr wagons to pass each other. So it's a pretty impressive fact that some of them are still in use today, or can be, and you can still walk on them. I don't know if you can drive on the Appian Way now or not. Maybe some parts of it you still can. But nowadays, mostly it's theirs for tourists to look at. But it still looks pretty impressive. So anyway, back to the Romans Road. I said that Rome built roads to get from somewhere to somewhere else. Well, the Romans Road was written it's basically a few scriptures taken out of the book of Romans. That's why they called it Romans Road. But it's based on the idea of getting from somewhere to somewhere. The idea is it's from a life of sin to a life of salvation. And so 
I want to share a few scriptures about that. First thing in the Romans road is that there is such a thing as sin. Now I learned years ago the word that's translated sin in the Bible was hygiema in the Greek, which means it's an archery term actually. It means you missed the target. So sin is just missing the mark. It's just you shot at it and the arrow didn't hit it. We were you know, none of us set out to sin. But most of us, in fact, all of us, have missed the mark. God's standard for salvation was perfection. Now, there was one person perfect. That was Jesus. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And Romans 5.8 says, But God showed His love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, you know, we didn't have to become perfect. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of His Son, much more that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Jesus came into this world to save me from my sin. And that's true for each of us. That's why he came. <coughs> now, okay, so why did he why did he have to die? Well, Romans six twenty three says, "The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord." There's another place in Scripture that says, "The soul that sinneth, it shall die." Scripture also says. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this to judgment. Now that's in Hebrews, so I'm outside of uh, Romans right there, but it's still very much true. But because the wages of sin is death, that payment has to be made. And in Romans 5, 8, it says God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to die a spiritual death. I feel like I got two pages there, but it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> Hate it when my pages stick together. It's even worse when I try to use it out of my Bible because it's real thin paper. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the payment for our sin. Now I'm going to leave Romans for a second again. See, that 
gift that he gives us is free. We can't do anything to earn a gift. You know, I give my, when I gave my kids gifts when, I was, when they were kids, they didn't earn anything. I gave it to them because I wanted them to have it. So we get salvation. We get that, we get that gift. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, By grace are you saved through faith. And that's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You know, if salvation was something that we worked for and earned, then we could say, hey, look, I'm such a great guy. That's why God saved me, because I'm so wonderful. Well, ain't true. I stood up here when I started this and admitted that I was a jerk. I was a lousy person. I was a miserable excuse for a human being. And yet, God loved me so much He sent His Son to die for me. Not because I was worth it, but because He was holy and He wanted me and His family. Just as He wants each of us in His family. He wants each of our friends in His family. He wants us to reach out to those around us to help spread the gospel if need be to take the Romans road to um, others. I've got a whole stack of little tracks here that I printed out off the internet that has on. I didn't realize there was that many different tracks about the Romans road. There's one that uh, actually Tom wrote himself here that used to be out there in the in the thing, and I think he's going to put it back out again after this. But it says, why should I be a Christian anyway? And I read this. This is a great little track. So, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of the, I don't have any of those to pass out. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, in order to get this gift, there is something we have to do. Tom mentions this almost every Sunday morning. In order to receive that gift, we have to receive Christ. John 1.12 says, To all who received Him and believed in His name, He gave the right to be children of God. Well, how do we receive that gift? Romans 10.9 and 10 says, if you confess your sin, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now Jesus Himself said, in Matthew 10.32, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, If you admit that I'm your Lord, I will admit to my Father that you're mine. So he will testify for us to the Father. And in Luke 12, 8, it says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also, will acknowledge before the angels of God. Jesus will 
say, this is my brother, this is mine. He's given himself to me and he's mine and I accept him. He will accept us. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a pretty good uh, promise. Now, there'll be some things that change in your life when you accept the Lord. I'm going to leave Romans again because that's basically the path, the road, but there's some things that happen afterwards. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When I decided to follow Jesus and ask Him to take my life and use me however He saw fit, I didn't know what He was going to do. But I know one thing. My life changed. My mouth changed. But more important, my heart changed. He made me into a different person. Now, it didn't. It happened overnight, but it didn't happen overnight. He's still changing me. I haven't reached yet where He wants me to be, but I'm no way where I was. And I can assure you, things are different. Nobody here knew me before. In a way, that's a blessing for me because none of you can look and say, but I remember when you used to do this. Because even my wife now doesn't know what I was like before because I'd been saved for many, many years before we got married, before I ever met her. My first wife died. And so she doesn't even know what I used to be like which is probably one of the reasons she's hung around. <laughs> but uh, I'm blessed that she did. But now, I want you to know that even if you make mistakes, God is still there. I'm going to share a story that's totally outside of Romans but it can be an encouragement to any one of us that's ever made a mistake after coming to the Lord. And that's the prodigal son. Now, we've probably all heard this story, so I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to talk about it much. I'm just going to say that this is an image of what it looks like for one of us who decides to stray, to walk away. Luke 15 11 through 24. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, give me now a part of your property that I'm supposed to receive someday. In other words, this is going to be coming to me eventually, so give it to me now. So the father divided his wealth between his two sons. Dad didn't say, nah, you got to wait till I die. He says, okay, here it is. A few days later, the younger son gathered up all that he had left and traveled far away to another country. And there he wasted his money living like a fool. And after he had spent 
everything he had, there was a terrible famine throughout the country. He was hungry and needed money. So he went and got a job with one of the people who lived there. And the man sent him in the field to feed pigs. I don't know if you're aware of the fact that feeding pigs for a Jewish boy would be a really low point because pigs were unclean. And I've been around pigs and they stink. <laughs> in fact, when I was in Scotland, the next farm over from us, from where I lived, was a pig farm. And when the wind was right, I knew pigs stunk. <laughs> now, they weren't just unclean because they smelled. They were unclean because of Jewish dietary laws and so forth. So a Jewish boy shouldn't even touch them, let alone be out there feeding them. Anyway, he got so hungry, he decided he wanted to eat the food the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. The son realized he'd been foolish and he thought, my father has hired workers that have plenty of food. But here I am almost dead because I have nothing to eat. I will leave and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've done wrong to you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but let me be like one of your hired workers. And so he left and went to his father. And while the son was a long way off, his father saw him coming and felt sorry for him. So he ran to him hugged him and kissed him. Now, I am going to stop here and say something. Son didn't even get to the field yet. Dad was out there watching. He says, I know in my heart, someday my son's going to come back. Someday he's going to miss what he had here with me. And he's going to come back to me. And so if we do maybe mess up and go astray. Be assured of this. God Himself wants us to come back. He's waiting for us. Now notice also the father didn't go to the other country and drag him back by the scruff of his neck. And God's faith would do that too. He, he'll let you have your own way. But know this. He loves you. He loves you. He wants you back. He wants you to come home. So this father hugged him, kissed him. But the boy had it all in his head. He said, I'm going to do my, I'm going to say my piece. The son said, Father, I've sinned against God and have done wrong to you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Put a ring on his finger and good sandals on his feet and bring our best calf and kill it so we can celebrate with plenty to eat. My son was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to have a party. Well, 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will make a way for us to avoid it if we're tempted. And don't get me wrong, we'll be tempted. Am I tempted? Sure. Every day. Do I give in? Well, unfortunately, once in a while, yes. But most of the time, if I look to God and say, okay, how do I get away from this? He'll make a way. He will make a way. He has already made a way because He knows in advance what we're going to face. Because, see, Jesus faced every temptation that we face. He was a man just like me. Only one thing different. He was 100% obedient, which is not true of me because I've been disobedient. I lived many years of disobedience. Now, yes, I've been walking with the Lord for over 50 years. And I've let him down a lot. But he's always been there to receive me back if I confess that I've done wrong, that I've messed up. He's been faithful to me even when I've been unfaithful with him. And he continues to be faithful to each one of us if we will just present ourselves to him afresh every day, really, if it takes that. And sometimes for people like me, it takes that every day. We need to roll out of bed and say, God, please accept me today. There's an old song we used to sing when I was a good Baptist boy. It said, just as I am, without one plea, but that Christ's blood was shed for me. Well, that's the only plea we have. Jesus gave his life that we could have victory in this life and a life everlasting, a life eternal, that we could be saved. That's what it means, saved. We we saved from what we naturally are, and that's sinners. Well, I think I'm done pretty close. If I can get the worship team to come back up and share with us. I appreciate so much uh, each one of you being here listening and and, uh, and thank you God.